Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Where better to sample the social attitudes and expectations of the day than to look at a crowd attending an AFL match? Who better to provide an insight into those social attitudes, especially regarding gender, than Chelsea Roffey, who officiated as a goal umpire? Her insights have found their way into an essay entitled An Open Letter to Doubting Thomas. So, Chelsea, welcome to 3CR. Thank you, David. Wonderful to talk to you. You write this as a letter What was the inspiration for that and an open letter at that? Look, I think if I reflect on the the number of times I've been standing in the goals on the the field there and as an umpire, obviously, your role is to maintain the utmost composure and the focus. But, you you know, you take in a lot and you hear a lot and a lot passes through your head, David. So um, you don't really have any recourse. Um, You don't have the opportunity to really defend yourself or, you know, give a a witty one-liner, um, and I think in a lot of ways um, I found this letter as an opportunity just to um, express some of those thoughts that had run through my head. Um, I think Doubting Thomas obviously represents some of the individuals I've come across from time to time and maybe through interactions um, they may have shared some of their doubts or questions um, or very strong opinions over the years. But I think in a lot of ways Doubting Thomas also represents some of the the doubts and insecurities that I've had myself, you know, through examining some of my experiences. So it really, you know, it wasn't necessarily about a, a single person or it was just a, an accumulation of experiences and having a, a fairly curious attitude to, what, you know, what do those experiences mean and, and what do they say about my narrative and how do I navigate being a female in a male domain in a lot of ways. But doubting Thomas, Thomas also takes on this notion almost of a divine truth, the inevitable that people can't see. Well, yeah, I think, and I've used a lot of, I think Doubting Thomas presented an opportunity to, to use devices like humour and irony. And um, I think often when you present things um, in what may, may seem like a ludicrous way, you, you hit on a kernel of truth. And that was certainly, you know, that's been my truth as well I sort of you you think about some of the sometimes hilarious things that might happen or things that people might say or in some cases things you reflect on and think oh goodness that was a bit you know in today's world that's not acceptable Um, but at the time might have seemed a little little bit funny within the culture you can also hit on some real nuggets of truth and and utilize those to to make a bigger point about some pretty heavy subject matter that, that might be a bit contentious or people might find um, a little bit confronting. So it can be a, a real way into a conversation. Now, the essay is virtually divided into two halves. There's this beautiful satirical opening and then a reflection on your upbringing. But just looking at that first half, you set up your argument. What barriers have you faced as a female in a male domain where do I start? And then what follows is a litany of all of the challenges. I mean, are there too many to face? Is it how how confronting was it? Look, I think another another 
purpose to the, the humorous approach that I've taken is to really put it out there as well that, you know, we, we, we're we so focused on the barriers. I think a lot of the time, if you're a minority in a, in a particular field, um, a lot of the time the narrative is just centred on the barriers. And so even just sort of suggesting that, look, there are so many, it's impossible to, to possibly count, you know, I think just sets up this idea that it's kind of a bit baffling that we, we are obsessed with it. We're obsessed with this idea of overcoming hurdles and barriers. And I think I said, you know, I've, I've faced more hurdles than Sally Pearson. And um, while there is truth to the fact that there have been challenges and barriers, I I suppose I try to present them in a way that dispels some of the the intrinsic belief behind them. You know, this idea that, oh, well, you know, women can't umpire or um, how could you possibly umpire football if you haven't played the game? Or you, you can take these ideas of, of the barriers that you've faced, which, yes, on one hand, have been very true and very real, um, but but really dispel them and reveal them for what they are, which I think a lot of the time, are, you know, they are, are pretty much constructed. <laughs> you know, they're sort of, they're not something that really should stop you from, you know, achieving your goals. Um, and in a lot of ways, once you present them in a certain way, you, you really can dispel them. You mentioned Cordelia Fine, who's an academic and she can provide insights, but you've deliberately chosen not to go down that path. Is there a reason for that? Oh, well, look, Cordelia Fine is a bit of a hero of mine, actually. She's done some excellent research uh, in the field of neuroscience and really looking at um, the science of sex and biology. Um, and, of course, we find ourselves in a time where there is a lot of debate and there are a lot of, it's just very topical um, in terms of uh, gender is very, very topical um, and the debate around, you know, biological sex and then you've got social aspects that, that play into gender. Um, to be honest with you, I think it's, firstly, I'm not a, I'm not a real expert, you know, to the nth degree, the way that Cordelia Fine is. Um, and I think it's such a heavy subject matter. I think it was better for me to really write from a, a personal point of view uh, with regard to my own experiences and just maybe just drop a little a little bit of academic research in there to suggest, look, hey, there's a pathway you can actually go down to, to research, you know, some of this stuff in greater detail. But at the end of the day, for me, it was about, you know, sharing some of my experiences, you know, that I, I can provide some expertise from a personal point of view in, in terms of what I've experienced. Um, and also, you know, probably there's a, a bit of a line there where I, I don't necessarily consider myself to be, you know, the inclusion police or the gender police. Um, I think there's a role there for for having a little bit of a lighter way in. I, I think that can be very effective um, if you do want to deal with some heavier subject matter and, and introduce some concepts, you know, with a, a view to educating and, and encouraging engagement. Um, I think you can do that in a in a lighter way with maybe a little bit of a nod to some of the underlying research that does exist. There's a reference there. Women are quite literally girls and we know girls are wusses and all of these sorts of things. Even the language seems to be positioning women uh, to follow a certain path or be a, a certain way. Were you conscious of that when writing this? I was I was very conscious of they thought of a it, you know it is a reflective piece and so a lot of the the views that I've come across at different times I think stem from a very traditional, dare I say, blokey, larrikin, you know, old school Australian mentality. And, you know, some of those attitudes can, you know, it'd be hard to die, like hard to kill, I should say, um, in terms of they, they 
they find their way into modern day culture and make certain styles of whether it's coaching or interaction or, um, you know, colleagues you may come across um, from time to time or, you know, spectators, even people in the media. I don't if I think about, you know, all those elements that come into the world of football. So I think there's just an element there um, where there is a certain style of language that it paints this picture of, you know, this Thomas character and and who they might be and again I I wouldn't suggest that it's any particular person it's just perhaps taking that idea of the the blokey larrikin and 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 maybe having a bit of a play with that and and sort of taking that to the nth degree and going well this is probably how we talk well you you do play on it and that comes out in this reference to you know blokes have got to have mustaches and things like that I mean you know the appearance as well it's not just the language it's how things appear too which sets up that expectation. Yeah, and, you know, it's so it seems like such a, a superficial observation, this idea that, you know, that a moustache on a goal umpire, uh, when I was growing up, it was as common as meat pies and yelling ball for holding decisions. Like literally, if you had a moustache as a goal umpire, you know, you were the authority figure. And, you know, I remember my dad had a moustache. You think about the Ron Barassis, the Malcolm Blights, um, you know, all, a lot of the players of the day, those hard, tough players, they had moustaches. There were Merv Hughes coming through cricket, David Boone. You know, there was that real era of the man's man. And um, I suppose playing on that idea of, you know, having to have a moustache as a goal umpire, it seems silly and superficial, but when when it comes down to it, a lot of, you know, the, the questions I had to ask myself when I was elevated to the AFL panel were, things around how do I sell my decision, how do I make sure that I'm appearing assertive, how does my body language bring bring itself in a way that um, really says don't argue, you know, because you have to be out there and, and ensuring that you are standing up to those spectators over the fence and the players who may not be used to a woman in authority, you know, telling them what to do. So, you know, it seems probably a little bit light on the surface, but I think, you know, body language, appearance, um, you know, what does it mean to look assertive, to take someone's and trust someone's judgment, all of that stuff, you know, it's it's something to think about. But you also go into that question of authority, and especially when you've got uh, footballers that are basically primed uh, to be physical uh, towers of strength who have uh, aggressively attacked opponents, you've actually got to step in between them. How do you do that? And that's where I think, you know, there's the element of the calm. The um, You know, there are benefits, and I do touch on this in the essay as well. You know, often, as I've mentioned before, we, we think about the barriers. So what are the barriers to being a female in a male domain? Well, you know, over the years I've come to recognise there are actually some benefits. You can provide a calming influence. You can be someone who perhaps doesn't meet aggression with aggression, perhaps, you know, you're able to provide an alternative way in to to, um, calm a situation or present a differing view or, you know, perhaps utilise that you you do look a bit different and perhaps you can have a different outcome um, from being involved in a a situation or scenario that can actually be positive. So, you know, it's it's learning to utilise the strengths that you bring and um, the impact and influence you can have on a certain situation um, in a positive way. And, you know, like I said, those elements aren't necessarily obvious at the outset because I think, you know, if you are fairly unique um, in terms of your background and you come into an environment where you are in the minority, 
you know, we, we look at things from a particular traditional framework. It's like, well, what are the attributes that you bring and do you fit into this mould? We're not looking for the things we don't know. We're not looking for the things we might not see. And, you know, and that's that might be, you know, to, to be a bit stereotypical, it might be the nurturing, calming element of femininity. But that brings up the question then, what the AFL can learn from women in many ways and bringing a fuller perspective to playing the game as well as being an authority or administering the game as well. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's very clear the way that um, women's football has just exploded in recent years. Um, That's the avenue that is uncharted. You know, at the end of the day, um, we've had a really long time, um, more than 150 years of the game being played, um, you know, through a particular lens and with a lot of input from the male gaze. And there's an opportunity now, you know, really from a variety of aspects, including the commercial opportunity um, to, to bring in some different opinions and different ways of seeing the game. We know that women love football. It's not only why, you know, women love to get involved in things like umpiring. I mean, that's why I did because I love the game. Um, but they also love to play and they bring their own unique flavour. Um, they play it in a different way. They bring different strategies. They, they, they have their own culture and they bring a different spectator base as well. So it's just... It's learning to see where the opportunities lie for, for seeing things differently and, and where we can learn from that. And this goes into your own background in many ways, which is the second half of the essay, your accomplishments, your achievements, and it fills out this whole pattern of the success you've had in various fields, including the Queensland Symphony Wind Orchestra. So it's a more complete picture. Well, it certainly sounds like there's a bit of a humble brag there for me uh, where I'm just listing off my achievements there, David, but that's not that <laughs> at all the intention. I think the, the purpose for, uh, I suppose, bringing up these different facets of my life and my background are really to paint the picture of some of those strengths that I know that I have brought to my goal umpiring that, again, perhaps I myself had overlooked um, and most certainly you know, were overlooked traditionally and, you know, you rock up to training and people don't ask you how your musical ability is going to assist you as, um, you know, the performance aspect of stepping onto the, the MCG. You don't make that connection naturally, um, whereas I know that, you know, the MCG is a stage and when I step out there and I am selling my decisions and using my body language, there's an element of performance there um, and I know that the, the experience I've had as a clarinet player has has taught me some of that body language and that skill. And so similarly, I think I touch on, you know, some of the, the elements of um, being, a, you know, the discipline of athletics training at school, for example, or, you know, exams. Um, just bringing those different elements together and, and understanding that they can help you to perform in pressure situations. So they're the sort of conversations that I have you know, with school kids, younger people, um, young women who are looking to step into umpiring, it's it's about saying, you know, you've got strengths. Um, they may not be traditionally recognised, but you have to learn to advocate those, find those and bring them into whatever you're doing because we live in a world um, where transferable skills, you know, will get acknowledged and recognised and you've, you've really got to advocate those and, and bring them into whatever you're doing. Now, a couple of other interesting things. You challenge stereotypes, you challenge the male attitude, but you also challenge women as well, the princess persona. So you're not just critical of men here in this essay. 
Well, absolutely. And I, I certainly didn't uh, write the essay with the, I suppose, the intention of being critical of men, so to speak. It was it was more just being critical in general of, of the attitudes that exist and, and, bringing, and calling some of these out. Um, and so with regard to, you know, the princess persona, for example, I think I, I reference um, a question that I have been asked, actually. I, I was doing a, a media interview um, and I was asked whether I actually wear makeup when I'm umpiring, um, which I didn't. And I thought well, maybe I should, you know, I don't know. Um, but, you know, this idea of, and I, I think I made the joke in the essay, um, you know, around really being a pioneer about, you know, having the, I suppose, uh, the confidence to step out on TV without full makeup. Um, so, again, it's, it's a ridiculous notion um, that you shouldn't be able to do that. And, of course, not all women feel that way. But I think it just touches on, you know, the pressure to look a certain way. Um, I also made reference to uniforms. Uh, you know, for a very long time I, I wore men's uniforms and sort of made the, I think I made reference to how difficult it is to, um, you know, maintain the feminine physique while doing so. So, yeah, it's just challenging this idea that, you know, women are going to be judged on how they look rather than the decisions that they make, for example. Um, and I think, you know, these are the kind of attitudes that, Again, they seem very old school. They seem like they should be well in the past. But at the end of the day, whether you're in the boardroom or on the basketball court, there's still issues that, that people face. So, again, it's challenging women to, you know, have the confidence, you know, in certain situations to, to break through those attitudes and not be so concerned and worried, you know, not suggesting that I'm, I'm perfect with that. <laughs> Another question that arises is acceptable banter. I mean, male umpires are ridiculed and sometimes there's sexual innuendo there. Is there a point or a line at which it's inappropriate? You've faced sexual innuendo, etc. but how much should you accept? How much is part of the game? What's acceptable? That's a really great question because I think particularly with something like umpiring, I mean, umpires generally are seen and not heard. I mean, obviously, apart from the decision that you are voicing and the, you know, control of the game, you don't really have that opportunity to defend the decisions that you're making. You're you're seen but not heard and you have a role to play. And there is this idea that, you know, there's the heat of the game and the heat of the moment. And, you know, I've always been very willing to accept that, yes, the game is played within a certain spirit. Um, and I must admit there are things that I've heard um or seen where I've actually found them really funny, and I but I wouldn't repeat them because in today's world, <laughs> you sort of think you know the dial shifts, and I think that's probably for me that's really the takeaway. This this idea that each generation is going to bring a level of awareness um, and its own take on things. And you talk about you know there's woke culture today, and a lot of young people I meet who are really really switched on and have very firm views around you know, where, where they think that line is and what's acceptable and what's not. So for me, the important thing is actually being able to read the room and understand the context of the situation. And when it comes to the education piece, it's giving people an opportunity to sort of think critically ab around the way that they're behaving and whether something is appropriate or not. And, um, you know, perhaps having the courage to pull someone aside if, if something has occurred and it needs to be called out or, you know, discussed. I think I, I mentioned before I don't, you know, sort of consider myself to be the inclusion police, but um, for me I think more important than any kind of policy or policing, it's it's about actually 
being able to talk about things and have conversations and give everyone an opportunity, as I say, to to read the room and, and decide what's appropriate and what's not. I feel like I've really sat on the fence there for you and haven't actually given you an answer. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, where is the line? I think the line moves. And it, it also moves, moves depending on whether it's directed towards a, a man or a woman and there's a difference in terms of what is an, and isn't acceptable depending on your gender as well. But we'll move on. Um, Prime Minister Julia Gillard made a point of speaking to you. Uh, did that highlight just how significant your role was and the, the sort of position you were holding? It was certainly humbling to have the Prime Minister request access to the umpire's rooms uh, to meet me, which was actually... Um, yeah, I, I suppose highlighting the the occasion of being the, the first woman to umpire grand final, which, um, yeah, as I say, it was certainly humbling um, and not common practice uh, for that kind of thing to happen, um, for people to be in the rooms like that before a major game. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was honoured um, and I think it probably rivaled the excitement of the game itself. But... Um, it was nice to be recognised. At the same time, I was very much looking forward to just getting on with the job. You end the essay by pointing out the ambiguity um, and the d double standards in society. Aggression is unbecoming in a woman. Openness is weakness. Has anything really changed for women in that regard? Uh, look, I think we still, you know, the, the commonly used example is this idea of... Um, female leaders or managers being too direct or too blunt or too aggressive and um, there's just something about them, you know, they're not quite likeable. It's that whole tightrope of, you know, being either competent or likeable and, and the research really backs this up. Um, as a woman, um, you traditionally tend to be rewarded for being a bit of a people pleaser, for being the nice, pleasant, easy to get along with, um, you know, and no doubt that Yes, everyone wants to be liked, um, but that's not always what gets you ahead in business, for example, um, or, you know, if you are in an authoritative position. So I think it's something that consistently uh, continues to be an issue for women in certain positions, but it's something we're a lot more aware of now. And um, in being aware, we can certainly, you know, perhaps challenge it. Well, Chelsea, thank you for talking with me today. Fascinating discussion. And it's obviously going to be an ongoing debate, women, gender um, and male attitudes in particular. But thank you for talking with me today. Thank you, David.